Hello and welcome to this Guardian Financial Services Protection Podcast. My name's John Lappin, a freelance financial journalist, and today we're talking to Andy Peters, the Distribution Director at Guardian, who is moving on in the next few weeks. Hello, Andy. How are you? Hi, John. I'm great. Uh, thanks for this opportunity uh, to have a chat before I move on from Guardian on the 1st of December, actually. So okay. fast approaching. So I know your career has been long and distinguished, Andy, but um, can you give me a, a potted history for the podcast? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a Guardian to Guardian story, John. Um, I started financial services in 1979, actually working for Guardian Royal Exchange, so the same brand where, where I currently reside. Um, was always interested in the sales side and actually got my first sales job at uh, Legal and General, which was a great place to learn sales and protection, you know, the foundation of protection. Um, I definitely did some direct selling there, but got much more involved in the advisory side of the business uh, in that provider. I moved on to Scottish Providence in 86, had 15 great years at Scottish Providence, actually. It was a, it was a great business. And, you know, I've got a lot of close friends and people who've continued to work with me um, through other uh, enterprises from, from those days. Those were very happy days. In 2001, um, we got bought by Abbey National. Um, <clears throat> a bit of a cultural conflict, to be honest. And a few of us um, um, directors at Scottish Parliament actually moved across the square in good old St Andrews Square in Edinburgh. And we started a business called Bike Bray. Um, and that was a marketing brand of uh, Royal London. So that was my first introduction into New Start and really focused around protection. And that, that was eminently successful. Um, I spent many years uh, trying to explain what Bright Gray meant to the advisor community. Um, after my time at Bright Gray and Royal London, I did consultancy for a few years and actually started to do some work with a group of people who actually were the foundation of what became the Guardian brand and business. Um, that, that was back in late 2015. And here we are today, nearly five years later, uh, where Guardian is doing really, really well again. Something I'm really, really proud of, John. And the rest is history, of course. Um, yes. So over that period, um, who do you think it was that you learned most from? Ah. It's a difficult one. Um, there's not a single person, I would say. Um, I'm great at stealing ideas and copying behaviours, I guess. Um, possibly from the first sales manager I ever had at Legal and General, who was absolutely terrible, a terrible man. And so I learned a lot from that, actually, in terms of how to behave. And up to the modern day, actually, I learn a lot from our current CEO, Catcher. Um, who is a lot younger than me. Um, but, you know, I think we learn a lot from each other and certainly from our current chairman, Peter Mann, uh, who's hugely experienced. So, you know, across my career, I've taken, you know, you know I do observe good behaviours and take knowledge from a whole range of people. 
What would surprise a lot of people, certainly my colleagues, is that I do have uh, my own um, uh, executive um, coach, Kitty, who I've had for a number of years, actually, who um, really keeps me on track in, in terms of how I'm looking forward at things, how I'm formulating ideas and any issues I have. So, you know, that, that I would recommend to anyone, uh, quite honestly. So, yeah, as I say, a whole array of great people and fairly few negative people that I've come across, actually, um, because our industry is good like that. Good people everywhere. So what would you do differently? I suppose we have to attach that. If you had your career over again, what would you do differently? <laughs> yes. I probably uh, stayed at Bright Grey, Royal London, too long, John. Um, I got possibly too emotionally attached to the whole thing and the experience. Um, whilst I have a deep attachment to the people at Guardian, you know, I'm, I'm much more able to let go in this current experience. So those are things that are important to me, but, you, you know, you have a a time box to deliver what you want to deliver. And then there's a right time to go. And that's how I feel right now. It's the right time to go. So, Okay. Very interesting. I think I may have a, had a similar experience in my career as well, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, turning to Guardian, why, why did you accept the challenge of helping to launch Guardian? It's a, it's a, you know, launching, launching um, a brand like this and a business like this, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not, no small task, let's say. No. <clears throat> it's no small task and it's a rare opportunity. And I sort of promised myself after Bright Grey, I wouldn't put myself through it again. Um, but I broke that promise. And uh, so why did I break that promise to myself? Um, largely, it was a group of great people with big ideas uh, and coming together of those ideas. Certainly, the prospect of working with that brand again was really enticing and a good story for me personally. And I think finally the fact that uh, that group of people really truly wanted to be a challenger in, in the market, which I think back then arguably uh, was quite vanilla in terms of uh, development and doing things differently. So all of those things came together that it became a no-brainer for me to give this a go. Um, one of the things I've, I've heard a few advisors say when when Guardian was launching was, oh, is this bright grey again? Is this going to be, have we seen this before? And what, what in, in your opinion, are the big big differences between the two? Yeah, the, 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 the biggest difference is in terms of ownership. <clears throat> you know, bright grey was effectively a marketing brand of the biggest uh, UK mutual insurer. So financially, it was a very stable ship. Um, contra to that, as a big insurer, they were very involved and always wanted to get involved in the day-to-day -day business and look at synergies and different stuff, which actually took away a bit of focus. Um, at Guardian, it's very different in that we have some private investors who are probably less interested in the day-to-day um, proposition and running of the business but they're keenly focused on um, the money and the numbers John 
So I think that those are the two biggest differences. The most common thing between the two is the quality of the people. And I would always say that about any new start or business. Without the right group of people creating the right culture, you're not going to get anywhere. And, you know, the two experiences were very similar in that way. Okay. So maybe turning now to, to look at the protection sector as a whole, what, what do you think has been the most significant development in the market and perhaps the biggest challenge for the market over the years as well? Okay. Um, in terms of big bang, in terms of the protection market, I think you know, it's been a while ago when you know, everyone moved to being able to apply online and the engagement of technology um, in the advisor sales process. Um, to the point where I think all the providers offer a pretty good online service. You know, not something perfect, always room for improvement. So that tended to be the big bang. I think the most significant thing I'm seeing, is a, which is very healthy, is an absolute focus on claims and customer experience. And I think all the providers, you know, the whole cohort of providers are doing a great job in that space from where we were back in the early 2000s, I would argue. And that, that's only good. Um, the issue with that is customers don't quite feel or believe that. So that potentially is one of the bigger challenges is um, to get that message across and how do we continue to, to promote that, that message. And I think the other overarching challenge is how do we reach out to more people and get more protection sold and that elusive protection gap continues um, so that is a significant challenge still which means there's great opportunity i think uh, over the next few years and obviously much of the debate in terms of the protection sector has been about price versus value Mm -hmm. Do you think we need to move away from this emphasis on price? And, and if that is the case, what or indeed who needs to change the way, the way they're doing things? Clearly, I mean, the Guardian proposition is not a, a price-led proposition, it's very much a value proposition. I think there's actually a misconception amongst the advisor community around um, what uh, consumers do, do value at the end of the day. Um, and I think most research shows they do like value propositions over the cheapest. And I, I think actually more research could be done by providers in that area to support that argument in, in, a, in a much uh, stronger way. And I think the other thing that um, leads to that is purely the sales process um, and where advisors get their suitability and where they start their, their, their point of sale, which is the industry portals, which presents propositions <coughs> via price. Um, I know the portals who have been great partners of Guardian. Uh, you know, they're all doing strategies and developments to try and aid <coughs> advisors really deliver value over price. But I think there could be a lot more done in that area, um, certainly. So I think some of that will be technology led. Looking forward, what do you think? What do you think is the future for advice and distribution in terms of protection? <clears throat> okay, 
I mean, I've always been a firm believer in the value of advice. And I guess over the last 30 years, I've been told every five years um, that the advice market is going to be consumed um, totally by direct consumer propositions. And it's just never happened. What I find is the advisor market uh, hugely resilient, have great relationships with customers. Um, so I'm very, very optimistic about the advisor community continuing to drive a huge percentage of the protection market. And there's so much more we can do. We know wealth advisors are less you know, inclined to write protection business. And we feel they should all do more there. Um, the penetration of uh, protection against mortgage sales is still pretty low, um, although in areas it's very, very good. Um, so, you know, I, I'm super optimistic uh, that the advice market will stay strong. I suspect um, there will be hybrid type models around robo advice. Um, but I'm not seeing a mass move to direct consumer propositions. None of the data is telling us that's that at the moment. Okay, so the the final question. It's been a crisis year, of course. 2020 is one that a lot of people will be glad to see the back of, I think. But do you think the protection market is in a reasonable position for the recovery? And how do you think that's going to play out? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a difficult year, uh, for sure. And uh, once um, COVID um, experience landed and we all went to lockdown in March, um, you know, we didn't really have a plan. You know, this, this was new to us. Um, you know, we weren't clear what the market would do, what consumer behaviours would be like. Um, so, you know, we, we held our breath for a while, I think. What we found was consumers uh, were very willing and continue to be more willing, I suspect, to have protection conversations. Absolutely, advisors definitely focused more on that, um, which kept um, the market pretty resilient, I would say. Um, you know, so it didn't fall off a cliff. Um, and where we are now is pretty back to sort of market volumes that we had pre-COVID, John, which is really, really good. I don't think we were predicting that, you know, <laughs> sort of outcome at the start, you know. Um, so I think that gives us really good um, cause for optimism. I think across the advisor community, the, um, the advisor models, uh, some of the big networks have been hugely resilient. Through, through these times as well. Yes, there have been local stresses and furloughs and, and, and different things going on. But again, as I described earlier, what we see in the advisor distribution is huge resilience to change. And I actually think going into 2021, um, I think could be a really, really good year for protection. And looking out over the next two or three years, I think we've created a better conversation uh, around um, having those uh, conversations with, with consumers. And, you know, there's huge opportunity now to carry on growing, I would say. So, yeah, we're, we're, 
we're, we're on the optimistic side right now, I guess. Um, having said that, you know, you see some stresses and strains in the mortgage market, um, especially, I think, you know, in the supply chain and how long things are taking to complete. Um, but um, we'll get through that and hopefully there'll be some sort of new normal <laughs> out into the middle of next year. Okay. Um, well, just first to me, Andy, thank you very much for talking to us today. And also, can I wish you well in your future endeavours? And I'm sure you'll be hearing that from lots of people over the next few weeks. And, and obviously, I'm sure we'll all be staying in touch too. Absolutely. Um, I'll be letting you know what I'm up to next. And it's been a pleasure talking to you today, John. Cheers.